All right, well, you can open up to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Well, like I was saying, I was not here when Brother Jeff began this whole uh, foray into the book of John. Um, But if you don't know, and maybe he did share this, John is writing this book at the end of his life. So John, the disciple, has walked with Jesus. Um, Then after Jesus died, he lived this whole life of ministry. He kept preaching Jesus. Eventually, he's kind of outcast and um, put on uh, this island by himself. And he's looking back on this time with Jesus, and he begins to pen these words. And I imagine at the end of your life, you're, you're thinking, what is the most important things I could write down for people to know? And, it, and the good thing is John wasn't writing about himself. It was even better because he was writing about this Jesus. He said, what, what are the things, what are the things I lived with, lived through with Jesus that people really need to know so they can know who Jesus is? And that's where we're going to be starting today. But I, I think the reason I think about that, because it, when I read through the book of John, I, I keep that in the back of my mind. Because every time I read a story, I'm, I'm forced to think, who is Jesus here? John wrote this for a reason, so we can know something about the character and the personhood of Jesus. Now, we're going to start in verse 1, but before we get there, I want to explain the first two words. So in my version, it says, after this. Okay, and so when I first started studying this and kind of going in depth, you would assume after this means what happened just before, right? That makes sense, but except that's not what happened here. Okay, so in chapter four, verse forty-seven, he finishes up talking about the, how he's a, what's been witnessing to to, to uh, prove who, how he is God, right? We talked about the kind of um, the people he calls to the stand to prove that he is the Son of God. Well, as you start reading this passage, it starts talking about, hey, the Passover is about to happen. The Passover is at hand. When I was studying this, I was like, wait a minute. The Passover just happened in chapter 4. And we, we read that the Passover was at hand. And then all these people saw what Jesus did at the Passover. And um, that's why they started following him. And so clearly, this after this is not immediately following what we just read. This is likely almost an entire year later. Okay, now you're like, okay, well, why is that important? I think it's important because we have to realize that during that entire year when, uh, when we don't see this stuff between what John is writing, Jesus was still ministering. Jesus was still working. It wasn't like Jesus took the year off and said, see you guys next Passover. I'll let you, I'll let you see something cool then. No, he's still ministering, right? So the, the renown of Jesus, the things that Jesus is doing, the things he's teaching, is continuing to be spread, continuing to be um, heard by more and more people. So it's not like the same audience that we had in chapter 5 exists. It's now a much greater audience of people who have heard the name of Jesus and started to see the things he's doing. So let's read through the passage, and then we'll break it down. But I, want you, I just want us to understand that there's a, there's a gap here, and, and Jesus is a little more famous by this point. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
He said, this is to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So this is an extremely familiar story that if you have grown up in church, you have more than likely have heard this story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, what a lot of people also don't know is there's another instance where Jesus feeds several thousand people. And for some reason, we forget about like that one because it, I don't know. It's like people think it's just one time. But this is a very familiar story. So we, and we know these stories because this is something miraculous that Jesus did. It was a big thing. Um, and Jesus, so what we read from reading the other Gospels is it was really just before this, his cousin John the Baptist had been killed by King Herod. And so we're told that Jesus is kind of is mourning his cousin and kind of gets away to this desolate place with his disciples. Okay? And so this is where we find Jesus. He's going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden there's a crowd of people following him because they had heard or they had seen that he was doing some miraculous things for the sick. Okay? And so I see this. And I put myself in the place of uh, one of these crowd members. And I start to think, okay, what was going on in their mind? For many of them, and probably most of them, if not all, were seeking Jesus for something that Jesus could do for them. Which you may be in this place and like, well, that sounds right. That's why we're all here in this place today. But really, they were seeking something selfish. They were going, you know what? I, I've, got, I've got this disease. I need this guy to fix it because he can fix it. Or, you know, I've seen this guy do some crazy stuff, and I'm, it's going to be like a show. We're going to go watch, and this, this show is going to happen. And, I mean, I, I brought friends to watch this show because he always does crazy stuff. And I start to think, it's amazing how mankind has not changed very much in 2,000 years. How many people go to church seeking Jesus for entertainment? How many people go to church to feel good. They want it, man, I want to, I want to ha- hear this sermon. I want to walk away and just feeling like I'm going to have a good week. The truth of Scripture is that the signs that Jesus performed, yes, they were to point to who he is, but his desire for us is not to go seek the signs. Our, his desire for us is not to go seek the things that he can try to fix for us. His desire is for us to want him And there is a difference there. Yet a lot of people still today are looking just for the signs. And I think we have to ask ourselves, am I looking for Jesus or for something else? Now, I do understand that before we have a relationship with Jesus, it is natural in our selfish desires as human beings 
to only see Jesus as someone who can fix something. I mean, that just makes sense. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't understand this side of things. You understand, man, I hear that Jesus does some good stuff. And of course, you're going to seek after that. But a lot of us as, as believers continue in that same category. We, we seek Jesus just for what he can do for us instead of just following Jesus because he's worthy of being followed. So Jesus sits down with his disciples. Um, we're actually told this is like a desolate place. It's kind of put, you know, put back. It was, there may have been a town nearby. They think it may have been Bethsaida, um, which was probably like a, you know, a nothing town. And Jesus looks up, and he sees his crowd. And I'm going to stop right there. Jesus lifts his eyes and sees the crowd. I'm one that firmly believes that every word written in Scripture is there for a purpose. And I think a lot of times we see he looked up, like, okay, he looked up, and he's like, oh, here they come again. But I think it's not insignificant because I don't think the character of Jesus would just be like, man, I'm tired, and they're coming with all their stuff again. But Jesus looks up. Jesus sees a need. He sees people hungry, not just for food, but for something that only he can offer. And if you read in the book of Matthew, it actually says, Jesus looked up, saw them, and had compassion on them. There are actually several other times in Scripture where Jesus looks at a person. And it's almost like it's, it's spelled out in there because it's like he, when he doesn't just, he looks, he knows. Like when he's talking to the rich young ruler, it says Jesus looked at him. And he shared with him, and, and because the rich young ruler was not willing to follow Jesus for who Jesus was, he walked away sad. And Jesus knew it. When Jesus was talking to Peter, and Peter is like, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll, I'll die to follow you. And Jesus is like, Peter, I'm looking at you, and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. Jesus looks. I think, I think that's a very significant, because Jesus sees differently than our natural human eyes see. And I think if we truly want to see through the eyes of Jesus, if we're supposed to be people who are supposed to be like Jesus, we need to look on people with compassion. And perhaps we can be disappointed by the things they do or the things they might do, but do we see people who are desperate, people who need to know Jesus? So when I lived in Austin, um, I guess just cause, because it's a capital city, Austin seemed like a hub for homelessness. I mean, every street corner, there was someone uh, with a sign or asking for money or, you know, hey, can I wash your windshields? Um, there were people under almost every single highway bridge. There were people, you know, shopping carts and sleeping bags, the whole get. Um, woods off the side of the road would be full of tents because there would be like a homeless camp. And I have to be honest. I was one of those people that when, when driving by and they'd be on the corner, I'd be like, don't make eye contact because if they see me, I have to feel guilty. And I think the problem was I didn't see them as people. I saw them as something less, all because of their circumstance. Now, when I was in Austin, I got involved with this ministry that um, actually ministered to homeless people. Once uh, or every Saturday, they would meet and uh, once a month, I would get to go and lead worship for, for these people. And uh, we, we met in a nightclub during the day, and like 200 homeless people would come in. 
and I get to lead worship. So yes, your student pastor is frequented a nightclub, but during the day leading worship. But I will have to be honest, it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've had to ever do. And it wasn't the leading worship part. Man, I could be on stage and I could keep my distance. That was easy. But what changed my life through that is I served with people who were not on stage, who were out there in the seats with the homeless people and would say, hey, hey, come here. I got a seat right here. Or give them a hug. Hey, man, I missed you last week. I'm so glad you're here. What's going on? Or, hey, I'm so-and-so. Tell me your story. I want to know who you are. And I saw these people get close to people. And these people, I mean, these people had an odor that kind of burned your nose, right? These people, a lot of them were not in their right mind because of either past experiences or past choices they made or whatever. And honestly, many of them were um, very capable of, of stealing or taking advantage of you in that moment because they live in survival mode constantly. But I watched these people get close to them. And I watched these people minister to them, and they saw them as people. And I think that's truly seeing them as Jesus does, because Jesus wants a relationship with people, despite the circumstance they're in. So that despite the circumstance you find yourself in, or maybe someone that you're ministering to, or, or just know and maybe don't want to minister to, how does Jesus see them? Because all sorts of people are going to approach us who have needs. It may, be, it may be physical needs, like the crowd that's coming to see Jesus. It may be, you know what, they just, they just need someone to look them in the eye and say, how are you? It may be people who have even different priorities than us. The things they think are important are not important for you. And a lot of times when there's people that are like that, you're like, well, we just are different people, so we don't hang out. But the eyes of Jesus still see a person who he desperately loves and wants a relationship with. So Jesus, in this moment, he, he, he asked the disciples a question, right? And the scripture is in order to test them because he already knew what he was going to do. Remember, they're in this desolate place. There probably is not like a H-E-B down the corner. And he says, where are we to buy bread? So all these people. And Philip says, Jesus, 200 days of working would not even give these people a little bit. That's a lot of people. And you have to think, okay, remember, we've, we've talked about these people who have walked with Jesus for clearly over a year, seen him do amazing things, seen him care for people, seen him say things. They should know he's the son of God. And yet when there's a problem in front of them, Philip just sees the problem and fails to recognize that he's sitting right next to Jesus. And I think about in my own life when how many times is there something in front of me that I just, I, I don't think I can handle, or maybe there's, a, there's people coming to me and I don't think I can fix the problem. And so I throw my hands up and say, I just, it's impossible, I don't know what to do. When Jesus clearly just teaches, hey, I'm sitting right here. Why don't you turn to me first?
How many of us have the answer to meet someone's needs that we can lead them to Christ? But because we're not seeing people with the eyes of Jesus, instead we see them as a burden or as an impasse or in the way. This story is so popular because it has to do with a lot of people, right? It tell, we're told that there's 5,000 men, and you guys may have heard that does not include the women and children. So it's very easy to um, assume there's probably 10,000 plus people sitting in this place. Now, I have a lot of questions there. I'm, I'm, you know, for one, how do you speak loud enough for 10,000 people to hear you? And then they organize them into like groups of 50, and you know, it's hard to get you, you, you know, 300 people to do what we want. So Jesus just had it down, I guess. But they, he tells them to, ha- he says, have the people sit down. So they sit down and they, they gather them up. Now, they had taken these loaves and these fishes from this young boy. And Andrew, I don't know, I don't know whether to give Andrew credit or to say he still's missing it because he's like, well, Jesus, we got, we got enough food to feed about two people right here. What do you think about that? Um, and so, and Jesus is like, perfect. And he's like, take it and put it into the, the or start, start dividing it up and giving it to the people, right? Here's what's really cool about this story. No one can deny this story. And, and it's funny because historians have tried for years and years to deny things of Scripture. But let's think about the logistics of this. 10,000 plus people. This story is passed on and told. It's written down. These uh, books, which we now have, get starting to get passed around around Christian circles, and they're hearing the story. These were written down only probably 50 to 80 years after Jesus performed this miracle. If there were a handful of people, maybe even one or two, that were there could say, no, that never happened. That's not how it happened. But it's impossible when you have a group this size and even if it's like children who heard the story from their parents, they're like, man, my dad told me about this Jesus guy who, man, we had no food and we were hungry. And he set us all down and he, like with just two, with five pieces of bread and two fish, he fed 10,000 people. I don't know how he did it. And the other guy's like, oh yeah, my dad was there too. How easily could that story fall apart in the very beginning if it weren't true? You guys ever thought about that? That's why it's such a cool story. That is undeniable that this happened. But there's a spiritual truth also here. Towards the end of the passage, we're told that they eat, they eat their fill, then they they take the leftovers, and they fill 12 baskets. Now, this past Friday, I went to Larry's French Market with uh, some some family. We had some out-of-state family in town, and I got the buffet, and when I left, my stomach hurt. And it was, you know, I, I probably had eaten, eaten my fill plus more. And so 10,000 plus people are in this moment going, all right, Jesus, that's, that's good, no more. It wasn't just like the disciples thought was going to happen. They, they were like, man, if we, had 200, if we had two-thirds of a year's work, we, we could give these people some crumbs, and that, that's good enough. Maybe some crumbs. But Jesus says, no, we're going to take this little, and I'm not only going to fill them, 
they're going to be full. We're going to have leftovers. So the disciples probably ate really good the next day, right? But the people see this happen, and they clearly say, man, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. And I think about, you know, this, this is really kind of a picture of, of also what happened at the woman at the well, right? That we learned about in chapter 4, I believe. Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. So yes, Jesus does fulfill their physical need, right? But we've learned through the book of John that Jesus does not just look to satisfy the physical need. Like when we were talking about the guy who he told him to pick up his mat, he could have healed every person in that place. But the purpose was a spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth I think Jesus wants us to realize here is when Jesus is in it, when we look to Jesus first, when he's our answer, when he's our problem solver— He doesn't just put duct tape on it. He fulfills it, and he does it in abundance. Because a life with Jesus, he says, is life abundant. Life with Jesus is when when you have hope in abundance, when you have joy in abundance. That is what following Jesus allows us to have in our life. And it's not just so we can feel good and go, man, I'm so glad I'm joyful and then go about our merry way. But it's no, it's so that our lives are so overfilling with what Jesus has done in our life that other people cannot help but notice. And so yeah, I do think there's importance when we say Jesus sees. Because Jesus knows our heart. Jesus knows our situation. He sees and he knows. And he's the only one that fulfills. And so perhaps you find yourself sitting in here today and, you're, and you've, you've come seeking, you know, maybe you're in your life you're looking for purpose. You're looking for joy or hope. Well, I can tell you there's no other place to look than Jesus. And, and if, it, if that's you and you're like, I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know how that, how that works. I just came because I wanted to see what was going on here. It's so much better when you have a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you. And so in a moment, I would invite you to come down and just pray and talk with me. And we we can talk about what that means. But perhaps you're here today, and you were, a lot of us find ourselves, where we don't have these eyes of Jesus. And my challenge to you today is when you look at people, do you just see someone else? Or do you really see someone who Jesus desperately wants a relationship with? Because I believe that one change in our life will point more people to Jesus than anything else we can do. Because when we cast off people the way I did with the homeless in Austin, I never gave Jesus a chance to work in their life. All because of their circumstance. But when I see them as people who Jesus loves... Not only am I inclined to make sure they know who Jesus is, but Jesus is going to work through me because I'm following the way he wants us to. Let me pray, and then as I pray, after I pray, if you need to pray, you can come on down front. Father, you are so good.
I'm so thankful for your word, God. Thankful for um, allowing John through the Holy Spirit to pen these words so many years ago so that today we could read and see the character of Jesus and know Jesus all the more while we don't have him here in the flesh. Father, I pray that as you work through people's hearts, God, that you truly teach us to begin to see the way you see, to see people, to see souls that, that are um, destined to hell unless, Father, we can tell them who you are. God, you are worthy of everything today. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of um, us gathering. And Father, may we not forget that. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.